0: What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host. He just got nominated for Best Country Song at the Grammys, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing, man?
1: Let's go, baby. Repping f- for all my Southerners. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I know if you look at uh, the the map of the United States of uh, people who listen to this podcast, the South. Heavily represented, I'm sure. In our oh, yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, if you are listening and you're in the South, hit that subscribe on YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. Show us some love. Share us with your friends. Also, go to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating if you like. But also follow our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist, where we'll be updating that with all the songs that we like from this year, even if they're not Grammy-nominated. And Dave, we wrapped up last week's show with the Grammys. And here we are, starting... This week's show talking about the nominations that we got. Um, just general overall vibes about the nominations. Good, bad, in between.
1: Uh, I'd say in line with expectations overall. If you look at the big categories, all those big names are in fact there. Nothing really too shocking, right? And of course, those names would be Adele, Beyonce, Kendrick, Harry Styles, Bad Bunny. All of them got into Album of the Year as expected. And then other people that we expected to be in the next tier pretty likely as well, like ABBA and Brandi Carlile and Lizzo, also an Album of the Year. So nothing's really that shocking uh, right at the top there. I guess the most shocking thing would be we have Coldplay there again, two albums in a row. And then Mary J. Blige kind of coming out of nowhere, definitely one we didn't see coming. That's like the big shock, you know, Mary J. Blige first like solo Grammy nomination since the two thousands been a long time, but uh, yeah, that's like the big big shock at the top. No Taylor Swift, uh, read Taylor's version, but we didn't, we didn't, weren't necessarily positive that would happen either. But yeah, I mean, more likely than not, it was in line with expectations.
0: Yeah, that that was pretty much my takeaway as well. Mary J Blige definitely a shock to me. Um, you know, also we we talked last week about like our wish list so to speak of some of the artists that we wanted to see get some love and you know uh definitely not very excited about the best new artist group you know out of i think all the artists that we were talking about being hyped to see get some love um i don't know lotto i guess (laughs) that's it (laughs) who who are we excited for in that category really
1: yeah so as we noted best new artist this was not a year with like some big, big, big names. You know, yeah. the past few years, the winners have been True A Listers, Dua, Megan, Billy, uh, and Olivia Rodrigo. We didn't have anyone on, of that stratosphere, easy nominee, easy win. So thus, it it, it opens it up to be more interesting category. And in a sense, it it is interesting because it's not nearly uh, riddled with the star factor. That's cool, I guess. But me personally, I don't really love any of these people. Uh, You know, I I like Lotto fine. Um, But like, I was just kind of struck with the people that weren't in Best New Artist. I thought Zach Bryan, young upstart country star, I thought he was a lock in there. No dice, even though he did get a country, like song nomination in the genre categories. Uh, Joji, very surprisingly, not there. I thought off the strength of Glimpse of Us, that was pretty safe. Alas, it didn't happen. You know, other stuff that I would have liked to see, but we didn't think was safe, like Fireboy DML or Snail Mail or Little Sims, no dice. Two years in a row, they've snubbed Rina Sawayama. I can't believe it. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah, you know, <laughs> it feels like it feels like they're almost like making them wait another year, which is just silly. Um, and I, I just saw those names and I was like, well, I feel like you lost quite a, a few people, especially no k-pop love this year or very little that that i saw um yeah. bts just,
1: my universe with cold plays like the only only thing
0: it felt like the grammys kind of went back to being the grammys you know just being like ah these are our artists these are the people we ride for we're kind of uh finding the the people that we think you should be listening to like the the mary j blige album i mean sure I'm i'm sure it's a perfectly fine album but really like we needed to give Mary J. Blige this, this love right now, and we could be <laughs> highlighting some younger artists or yeah. some up-and-coming art. It just doesn't really make sense to, right. to, to do it in terms of what the Grammys are as a show right now. It just feels totally related.
1: Yeah, I'd say like on the other side of that coin, you do have Bad Bunny in Album of the Year, which like had to happen, but Bad Bunny also did get pop solo performance for Moscow Mule. That is nice to see him in a non-genre category outside of Album of the Year. That is cool. I suppose. Um, But yeah, I mean, we're still not seeing the widespread love for reggaeton and Afrobeat and K-pop the way we want to. It's still not happening. And unfortunately there are other categories where it looks like there's, you know, just clear step backwards, you know, Uh, step forward. I would say, if you look at some of the rock categories, you have turnstile represented, which is one of those like very ascendant uh, hardcore bands right now. One of the most talked about, but also popular like rock bands of recent time that aren't super mainstream. Those are pretty inspired nominations, I would say. Of course, in rock album, you do have Machine Gun Kelly's second rock album, mainstream sellout. Uh, honestly, just gives me a, a chuckle, honestly, to see him make breakthrough with his uh, lesser rock album <laughs> compared to his first one. But I mean, rap was a clear step back in terms of best rap album. That was. I mean I'm always prepared for disappointment given the history of best rap album but I mean that that really failed to meet my low expectations good grief
0: Yeah I was completely um like disappointed with the rap album and honestly just to even circle back like I thought there were some nice nominations in rock I was really happy to see um the uh, like the war on drugs get a nomination, although for best rock song, I mean no one's no one's saying Harmonia's Dream is the best rock song of the year. Sorry. Um, and it, <laughs> it was also nice to see um, the uh, the nomination for the Devil on the Sofa from Spoon. Yes, that was cool. Um, but you know, you look at like best rock performance, right? It's all old heads, except for idols and Turnstile, which Turnstile is a pretty cool nomination. Um, but yeah, most of most of this, I was just kind of like, yeah, this is just. Same as they ever was with the Grammys. But yeah, talk to me about rap. I mean, what
1: happened here? Yeah, so there were two that were seemed really, really safe, right? Kendrick and Pusha T. Kendrick's going to win. They're both in there. I was thinking Freddie Gibbs was safe because he got nominated last time. He didn't get in. Pretty shocking. Ridiculous. I thought Jid was pretty safe as well, given how populist that album was. He's in those big circles, he's on a major label. He's been on featured on Imagine Dragons songs. He has the awareness, you know. And the Forever story gets completely snubbed there. I mean, it, it's really tough to see, you know. Um, other people that I didn't necessarily think were locks, but I mean, there, there's great candidates, right? Like Vince Staples and Black Thought. But no, you get Future, which I, you know, Future doesn't shock me. I, that was a big record, but. They'll also have Jack Harlow and DJ Khaled in there. (laughs) God did the God did album is ass. Like people know that, you know, but like total Khaled love, right? You have God did and fucking song of the year. Are you kidding me? Yeah. um, It's,
0: it's completely ridiculous. I, I couldn't believe it honestly, when I first saw it, cause you know, I was, I was like watching the Grammys tweeted out and seeing the nominations. And when I saw that, they had Harlow and him. I was like, man. And then Future, I just was like, this is fucking bullshit, dude. Like, <laughs> you have maybe one one or two good albums in here. I mean, yeah, the Push gee. album, I'm glad. But uh, Kendrick also, like, maybe Kendrick's weakest album in his last, like, three or four. So, yeah, just like uh, a bit of a slog. And even looking at, like, rap song, like, w- what's the song, there that you're really excited for? The Heart Part Five? Just Kendrick? Just I new Categories, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uninspired, right? Like, a future Drake, Tem song, big hit, fine, I'm okay with that. Gonna push a P, push and P, fine, okay with that. God did, no. Jack and Drake, Churchill, Downs, no. Like, I just, there's just so much choice. I hate when they get stuff so wrong like this, you know? It's really unacceptable. Um you know, surprisingly, uh, Nicki Minaj, Super Freaky Girl, after all the controversy of what category it would be in, doesn't even get nominated in any category. Kind of funny. Um, but yeah, like, look at melodic rap performances. Like, oh, another Khaled song. Mm-hmm. First Class Shocker. lot of big energy. I'd room for that song, honestly. But uh, rap performance has, by far, the surprise of the rap Uh, nominees which would be glorilla fnf out of nowhere you know one of the biggest most surprising viral rap songs of 2022 have the grammys actually be on the ball in that manner nominating a brand new female rapper from memphis that's actually like insane and that's what we'd love to see in the grammys post uh nominating committees era you know but the fact that the same year they nominate Glorilla is the year they completely over nominate DJ Khaled. You know, it's just like you. you it's it's both ways. It's it's
0: always like two steps forward, three steps back with the yep. Emmys. It's really unbelievable. Um, just a few other cool nominations I thought going back to rock. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah is getting some love. Um, mm-hmm. They got for uh, best alternative music performance with Perfume Genius for spitting off the edge of the world, as well as best alternative music right. album. First the-
1: nomination for Perfume Genius as well
0: so that i thought that was pretty cool um and yeah just you know we, i mentioned at the top when i was uh introducing you but taylor she got her four nominations man she still got four nominations at these grammys she's a machine even in the year she's not really producing her top tier stuff it's crazy mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. it's gonna be one of those years where pretty much like the different like genre categories are just run by different things like beyonce's gonna win all the like dance yes like stuff uh, Adele will win the traditional win pop the, stuff. Exactly. Yep. Kendrick's probably going to run the, the rap. It seems like Mary J. Blige might run the R&B, honestly. Right. Uh, you'd have to imagine. Um, rock is the only one that seems up in the air, but that's because there's no album from
1: that nominated for album and, of the year. And what's interesting about it, though, is, uh, of course, we've pegged this rightfully as the Adele versus Beyonce rematch, the, sh- the showdown with the big categories. But there is a lot of star power. At the top with Bad Bunny, but especially Harry and Kendrick. Kendrick with a lot of Grammy history as well. Plenty of opportunity for spoiler, you know? Beyonce looking for that first album of the year win. she's uh, with like one win, she'll pass Quincy Jones and have the most Grammy wins ever. She's already up there with the nominations, but she doesn't have like the really big hardware. And that's what this year is about for her. But there's plenty of people that could take it away, you know? and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I
0: don't know. I'm looking forward to it though. If you're uh if you're watching on YouTube, comment below on on who you think got most snubbed at this. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see the the takes that people right. had. Dave, overall like any last thoughts on this? Yeah, I
1: I'd say overall I'm still more happy than not. I mean, Steve Lacy got pretty healthily nominated, which is awesome to see Bad Habit as well as Gemini writes the album getting recognized. I like to see that. Um Yeah. So, I mean, I've certainly seen worse slate Grammy slates, you know, Um, of course, we have the expected baffling like eligibility stuff. Doja Cat's Woman getting nominated a few times when it came out in June 2021. thus shouldn't be eligible. Jasmine Sullivan has a Hotels bonus track. Same thing came out before this Grammy period. I don't understand it. And when people explain it to me, it's not convincing. (laughs) But Grammy's got a Grammy. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's uh, they they always seem to somehow put their foot in their mouth, so they're they're never gonna change, and we love them for that. Anyways, let's uh let's talk about some new music that'll be in the next Grammy cycle. We're gonna be starting with Christine and the Queens. Um, yeah, Christine Queens is a a, a group or a, I guess an artist, as we're talking about. Yeah, uh, Halloweez Leticia L- L- um, who I think we've we've really appreciated their work, and I think. Um, as we've talked about on a few of our end of year podcasts there are moments when Christine the queens really captures us and re- we're is really impressive music wise but i i think we've kind of been waiting for that one project that really like blows us away or at least i feel like i have yeah, yeah. like an up-and-coming name but waiting for them to really establish themselves do you feel like on this this newest album uh Red oh boy, good luck reading this one. Red car les adorables et toi. I think, yeah. I, think I I nailed that.
1: I um, want to pronounce it I wanna pronounce it like in with Spanish, you know, like yeah. <laughs> adorables etoles. But it's not, it's French. It's definitely French, <laughs> for sure.
0: Um do you feel like Christine the Queens has finally established
1: himself? Yeah, uh that's a, that's a great question. You know, as you alluded to, we both loved People I've been sad, one of her 2020 singles off that La Vida Nuovo EP. But this is the third Chris album. First one since uh 2018's Chris. So I think there was a lot of hype and anticipation for this though, because Christine and the Queens has gotten even more uh awareness as an art an artist like this can, you know, not a mainstream artist, not making, you know, populist stuff at all. But through an association with people like Carolyn Polachek and Charlie XCX, getting an awareness on the internet in these more avant-garde pop spaces. So there was a lot of people looking for Red Car, I would imagine. And I certainly was. But, man, I, I really struggle with this album, to be honest. There was a few moments, but it, it's not about the language barrier because, you know, she's, was uh, he sang in a... Uh, French and Italian on the last one, but it has nothing to do that. It's just I I just found this one a bit bit formless, a bit uh tough to grasp. Honestly, not that the songs are the same, but the feeling I had reminded me of Perfume Genius's last album, which yeah. felt very high concept but almost impossible to grasp. So while I I appreciated the listen of Red Car. I had a hard time really getting into it.
0: So I had a similar experience, and it's actually interesting to hear you mention Perfume Genius, because I I think I didn't feel like it was quite to the level of Perfume Genius's last album, but I think the vibe overall reminds me of Perfume Genius's last couple albums. Um, And I think there's some really great songs on here, but then a few that just felt a little bit listless and a little bit like... I don't know if uninspired is the right way to say it. I guess maybe just like undercooked a little bit. Like I was waiting for some sort of flourish at the end to really like drive drive something home, really like take it to the next level, and it never really quite did that for me. Um, I I think the songs that I tended to really like gravitate towards were the ones where I felt like her or his vocal performance was really like capturing me, like uh, the second song to say say. Quel me, me fall? I, I totally mm-hmm. butchered that. I apologize for my French. Uh, not a French speaker over here. Um, I mean, Hel- Heloise is just absolutely ripping it on that song, and the drums are driving that, and there's this like passion and this energy behind it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is exactly what I was hoping for. Really set me up to think the rest of the album is going to be that way. And uh, you know, just a few songs later, uh, Ryan Dyer, I I felt like I wanted to fall asleep and just start skipping through. So. It's It was definitely up and down for me. I'm glad that yeah. you felt the same. Tell me about the moments you liked. Though.
1: Yeah, so I enjoyed, towards the end, Looking for Love, one of the few English-titled ones. I think the, the drum tempo on that was a welcome change of pace. Hmm. You know, some of the other Christine the Queen's music is a bit more pop-leaning, and Red Car really gets away from that and is more about this, like, kind of grand operatic build, it's very much in concert with the live performances he's been up to over in Europe, which have been getting I think, pretty strong reviews for the kind of extravagance that they're bringing out to the live show, you know, experience. But just as like an album, you know, I don't know if it translates that well, but Looking for Love I enjoyed. And also, uh, uh, toward even after that, Combien de Temps I thought was pretty yeah. good as well. Just because like some of those moments, like, think they, they kind of grab you because they just sound like they have more personality and like energy than some of the other stuff. And like, I have a hard time sitting with these kind of like long building albums that don't have those flourishes. As you said, they don't have that like those like flash pan moments that really grab you and bring you back in to the listen. So, yeah, definitely, uh, unfortunately, uh, disappointing to me.
0: I agree with the two that you shouted out. Looking for Love and Combien de Temps I thought was great. I love the uh like jazzy piano on Combien de Temps that kind of like runs throughout the whole song. I feel like that'd be a really cool song to see live. Um, but yeah, overall, I feel like we're still kind of waiting for that that Christine album that's gonna just totally propel him to to stardom. And I mean, we we know that that he has it in him. So yep. looking forward to it. I'm sure we're gonna get it at some point let's keep it moving, Dave, to our our friend Wizkid. Wizkid dropping his newest album this Mm -hmm. uh, this past weekend and somebody that I feel like we've been talking more and more about. And I think we've had a few features from him, some high profile features recently. And, you know, I think it just in terms of the overall like African music scene, which is obviously growing, as you mentioned, during our Grammys uh, discussion he's someone to be on the lookout for and someone that I think we're very excited to see where they're going. But this uh, this newest album, I got to say, I didn't love it. I similar Mm -hmm. to the last time we talked about Christine, the Queen's album. I felt like there were moments where I just it felt very samey, very redundant and just overall felt long. Did you have the same experience?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I didn't really care for this new WizKid album, More Love, Less Ego, his fifth album, first since 2020's Made in Lagos, which was the biggest album of his career. And Made in Lagos, you know, I think that was like a really like watershed moment for WizKid as an artist. Like, obviously, non Afro Beats fans know WizKid through the Drake feature, One Dance, Back on Views, one of the biggest songs of Drake's career, largely thanks to. Wizkid kind of legitimizing Drake's foray into Afrobeat and dancehall and whatnot at that time. But Wizkid himself is, you know, the best-selling Nigerian artist of all time. He's a very significant figure. And I was definitely anticipating this because we had missed the last album, you know, and especially as an artist like Burna Boy, his fellow Nigerian, has really, I think, uh, shined critically the past few years, I was anticipating hearing what Wizkid would be up to as Afrobeats has really expanded further into the West. And I think with more love, less ego, Wizkid's like very smooth on this, right? He's almost always incredibly smooth, but like you said, it has a really samey vibe and this this level of of energy, this kind of silky R and B esque level of performing, you know, it's like R and B music with Afrobeat rhythms and whatnot. Like, it's just not my cup of tea. Just because, I did, like, it doesn't really get me moving. You know, like it's not, it's not as big as some of my favorite Afrobeat songs are. You know, um, and I just, I didn't think Wizkid really brought enough to the table as a performer on this. You know, it's not that it's bad; it sounds fine, but it just doesn't really wow you. Yeah,
0: I I think you hit the nail on the head. It's not there's no wow factor, and in fact, probably the only like wow factor to me on this was a non kid moment, which is wow the song wow where Skepta comes in, and <laughs> it's just like a pure shot of adrenaline into this this listless album yeah. and
1: GQ I, I top would, five with no designer or whatever he says.
0: <laughs> yeah, fucking incredible, and it, it really I really needed that <laughs> getting through this album um you know i also i didn't mind don you uh you know mm-hmm. quick showing up but also felt like that song had more potential and just kind of fell flat just even the the drum beat and like you said it's obviously have heavily afro and there's a specific style to this but there's very little switching up um i think the only kind of time that i really felt like he was maybe exploring some different sounds or, or things felt a little bit different was uh the skeptic song wow and then the two of the first three songs balance and bad to me i thought mm. it sounded a little bit different and a little bit more energized but i i found myself feeling pretty bored with this one overall
1: yeah even uh, like every day you have a maya angelo sample if so as, as it were dropped in but then Wizkid just doesn't really go anywhere with it i think the most interesting like sonic thing. On more love less Ego would be slip and slide because it has the Shen Sia feature, the rising dancehall artist from Jamaica, who we talked about surprisingly on the Calvin Harris album of all places. Mm-hmm. you know I think that 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 kind of idea of bringing uh, Afrobeats with the is fun and, and cool to hear that genre mash and it's kind of like a brief moment. On more love less ego that's like oh wait this is something at least a little bit different you know for a, a brief fleeting moment before it gets back to kind of WizKid kid just just kind of chilling on this honestly so yeah definitely not my favorite and i mean it doesn't even compare to the burner boy albums of of no. recent years not even close to me yeah it's tough to have this kind of be
0: in the same genres as partner as boy I guess it's a little bit different like this is way more r&b but man it's just not nearly as exciting so yeah tough to live live up to Burner boy though anyways let's uh let's keep it moving to uh someone we were just talking about a little while ago chlorilla grammy nominated and now with her is this the second album i guess uh Uh,
1: major label debut it's debut ep she has two other mixtapes not on streaming uh it's come it's come uh, fast and furious for GloRilla. Really just 2022 she exploded and to get a Grammy nomination right as she's releasing her major label debut is pre- pretty impressive.
0: And I I think the it makes the title of the album even more apt on a day like today to talk about it cuz the title is anyways life's great and it's great for our our girl GloRilla cuz she's completely blowing up. Um mm-hmm. like you mentioned Grammy nominated first uh like major label debut. And a huge song with Cardi B. Uh that's featured on this album, Tomorrow Two, which is on our mm-hmm. Nostalgia Best of Twenty Twenty Two playlist, so check that out. I gotta say, like I thought this was pretty good. I went in having only really heard the Tomorrow Two song and maybe a few other tracks, and I was pretty impressed with Glorilla. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if this is going to be like the the project of of her life, so to speak, but for I being a first major label debut, uh pretty impressive, mm-hmm. I thought.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, you know, and this arc has been pretty interesting and fun to follow because it's been so quick. Like on one hand, how FNF blew up really speaks to how music can work these days where she was teasing out uh, snippets to the song before it was officially released at the time, really just kind of being known in that Memphis uh, scene specifically and to have that song really blow up and sustain Throughout really the first half of 2022, and you know as it goes, her team really telling her to let that song go. Don't flood the zone yet. Be strategic with it. She was sitting on tomorrow, while FNF was going off, and she doesn't put it out. Puts it out, and then very quickly gets the the remix version tomorrow too, with the staggering Cardi B feature. You know Cardi B just at her absolute apex of talking shit. You know. Uh, I, I think it's hilarious, the Cardi feature. Like, just the, the things she says as insults on that are so good. Why is it, like, uh, she tell me she might op, but I don't know her, had to look her up? Like, just so <laughs> funny, you know? But yeah. Glorilla, through just a brief EP, you know, over the course of this year, I think has, like, really established herself and her own identity with this music. I think uh, one of the new songs on this EP, Nutquick, really speaks to, I think the appeal of an artist like her, because like FNF, Glorilla is very Memphis. She's very Southern. Yes. She's her and her, her friends, her girlfriends, they are ratchet as hell. That is their thing. That's why FNF and that video exploded. Cause they're just about it. They're very Memphis. And the fact that she got signed to Yogati CMG, staying in that Memphis circle, uh, makes perfect sense. It's a perfect label fit for her. Really cool. And, I think she really sustained that again with a new song like Nutquick and also a more introspective track like Out Loud Thinking, the final song on this EP. So, you know, as we've been saying a lot, there's more and more female rappers, but I think Glow already has that kind of identity specifically in that Memphis scene. And there's now, what, like four or five legitimate Glow songs already. It hasn't been that long. So, yeah, I think she's clearly going to be around
0: Uh, A long time oh yeah yeah you know you mentioned that like very southern vibe even some of the ways that she delivers lines or says certain things reminds me a bit of ti a little bit you know like she has this like draw this like deeper has a draw for sure for sure and uh, it's uh just like this intimidating like feeling to her which i really appreciate she feels like she, she she can go hard for sure and even the songs i didn't think were like great like a song like F and I thought it was still fun. Like I, I found myself like really enjoying it. Um, and I think that that's a really good sign for her as a, as a new artist that even if she's not making like a top tier hit, or like a really well-crafted song, she can still mm-hmm. deliver something that's like fun to vibe to and bounce around to. You mentioned a few of the ones that were like stood out to you. I really also liked um, get that money with Nikki Pooh. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the overall vibe of that is great. But like, I feel like her and Nikki Poo had decent chemistry as well. Nikki brings like a, a bit of a speedier delivery, but it's like a, they play off each other nice and it has like an old school feel to it. It almost felt like something from like the 2000s bit to me.
1: Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, I mean, Tomorrow 2 has been hanging on that like top 10 YouTube chart since it came out. It's there today, you know, um, so she's definitely finding an audience and. I think she's in great hands with Yogati, who is, you know, we haven't talked about a lot of uh, the CMG artists, every more street level stuff, but like Moneybag Yo has become a huge rapper, you know, and even people that aren't signed to Yogati, like the late Young Dolph, like there is a huge appetite for Memphis rap the past 10 years. And I think she's just going to slide right in and just very quickly become like one of the stars of that sub scene of Southern rap. So very exciting and really hats off to the Grammys for recognizing the success of FNF and, re- and honestly nominating a brand new artist. Like that's actually really cool. Uh, I completely agree. Uh,
0: sometimes they get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we're going to go from someone making their major label debut to somebody who is well, well, well established in this rap game, 49 <laughs> years old, Nas dropping King's disease three dave how does he do it how does he fucking do
1: it album 16 baby let's go like
0: he he sounds like he did like 20 years ago somehow it's it's crazy
1: i mean specifically this nas run is is incredible this is the fourth nas album since 2020 the three kings diseases as well as the surprise album magic which came out on christmas eve 2021 which we didn't actually review because it's a terrible time to put out new music but um this run of Nas making four albums in a row with hit boy on the, on the beats, like Nas just feels so refreshed and energized and as good as ever, you know, definitely as good as you can expect a, you know, a OG rapper to sound, you know? And I feel like we've been saying that a lot lately with the love we had for the black thought and danger mouse album, but Nas, I mean, I think really bringing it and oh my God, I I think like this run from Nas, these four albums in two years, or two three years, even makes the Kanye mishap with Nasir sound even worse in retrospect because of how much Nas still had in the tank, yeah. And what a what a producer that was actually in sync with him pulled off in Hit Boy, you know. Uh, anyway, not to talk about that. Not Nas sounds great on King's Disease Three. I wonder, do you think this is a trilogy capper? You think he's gonna go with some new titles now because he's clearly not slowing down. He's gonna drop more shit.
0: Yeah, you know, I I was reading a few articles about it, and I saw someone like mention like, oh, this is a great cap to a trilogy," and I was like, "I don't, I don't see why he would stop." You know, like if if this is like a a perspective that really inspires him, why mm. not just keep going with it? It's hard to say, I think. Um, but I I was just digging this whole thing from front to back. I thought there wasn't really like a song I, I disliked on it. Maybe a few yeah. that sounded less uh, less in my my zone than others, but. Man, that that beginning from Ghetto Reporter through Michael and Quincy, I thought was just yeah. absolute fire. It's like completely straight four for four.
1: Yep, I totally agree. I love how Ghetto Reporter, he kind of brings up the idea of like the King's disease. He's like, yeah, we all get it eventually, however yeah. he puts it. And it's like, right, it's actually it's a good concept. Like Nas really sounds like at home in this kind of like elder statesman vibe, just kind of waxing poetic about stuff and it, it really makes for good moments when he like on towards the end on first time he's reflecting on uh like his beginnings and then like other people's like relationships with him or with other artists and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually like a it's it's a, it's a cool way to approach uh just like his lyricism, you know. Um but yeah, I agree. Get a reporter legit fun and Michael and Quincy. Just a lot of heat there. And the hitboy beats always very lively on the on these albums and Mm -hmm. Nas just really sounds right at home on them you know um michael and quincy i love the line uh gang members got nothing on these congressmen you know (laughs) classic stuff right there um but yeah i mean like the flow is good almost throughout i thought recession proof was probably my favorite flow from Nas. but honestly like it's tough to like find like negatives to me across this whole album run you know, I kind of wish in, in hindsight we had talked about Magic specifically because I thought that's actually like the best of these these albums. Like that was like such a surprise, but like Nas was, I think, probably at his hardest of the of this run on Magic. This King's Disease three feels more in line with the other two King's Diseases, most specifically. But uh, not, not that that's a demerit at all. Like again, like there's there's just so much good shit on this.
0: Uh, I completely agree. And he, I think he's able to really span a lot of like um, different like themes on this. You know, I, I, one of the songs that I don't think I'd go back to the most, but I was probably most impressed by was reminisce. You know, he's a little more serious, a little more reflective about his life. People lost where he's at in the moment, trying to be present with things. Um, and I just was really like, man he's he's really like in his bag on this like able to be thoughtful uh um, i loved one of the first songs i can't remember which one because i was listening to it in the car and wasn't able to write it down but he starts just going through how he's from queens and then talking about all the different neighborhoods brooklyn bronx all of it and i was yeah. just loving that he he does that so seamlessly and makes such funny observations with it but it just kind yeah. of like glides over it really well he's so
1: authentic at the end of the yeah. day obviously you can feel
0: that he's just like he's a queens guy through and through then you get the, uh, you know, the, the bonus track, which uses hmm. that, that song that was the walkout for the closer, right? For Edwin Diaz. Oh, fuck. I didn't even catch that. Yeah.
1: The, t- the trumpet song. Yeah. It's the called. trumpet song.
0: I don't know what yeah. it is, but he was definitely using that. Timmy trumpet. That, that beat. That? And fucking awesome. Like, I was like, yeah, this is how you know he's a Queens guy right here.
1: Right. Holy yeah. That's there. a good point.
0: So yeah. Good shit all around. I mean, <laughs> he's just ageless, man. It's, uh, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. And I think I think this has been a I think a more common talking point in the last few years, but hip hop hadn't had lots and lots of old heads reach, you know, reach fifty, you know, mm-hmm. due to the uh relative newness of hip hop as a genre of music. But now we're getting to that point where we're hearing people go longer and longer, you know, past what we previously had talked about as like the expiration date for, for rappers, right? And You know, Black Thought and Nas and Jay Z. Yeah, they're not as good as they used to be, but we're hearing more and more artists still really bring it at these older ages. Killer Mike, of course, comes to mind as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, great for Nas. Obviously, you know, he got his first uh, Grammy win with King's Disease One. Got nominated again with King's Disease Two. I'd imagine King's Disease Three will probably find him right back up there for Best Rap Album, and it it really is well deserved because it's just it's really hard to pick any holes in this one
0: completely agree again check out our nostalgia best of 2022 playlist on spotify definitely have a few songs from the people we talked about today dave let's let's move to comedy now where we're going to be talking about <laughs> lil rel Howery. um i wasn't i wasn't aware he was dropping a stand-up special but I i do see that uh hbo has quite a few coming out. i know chris Red has one that's i think dropping in a few weeks mm-hmm. and that one's already out i think yeah oh it's already out okay yeah,
1: you got so, trevor noah special coming out soon too
0: and it, it, it's funny because i was like man i, I feel like I've, i i am aware of, of a little Will Howry, but maybe not totally tuned in to his career i mean to me he's he's the the tsa Agent friend from Get Out,
1: right? That's who he is in my mind. His literally and first film role, so it's not not bad place to ha- have be a reference point.
0: Not at all. But you know, you look at um the work he's done since then. A lot of voice work, cameos, and things. He's yeah. he's working. He's, he's working. Busy. And so, I think it's a good time to be talking about him. Although I gotta say, I don't know if the stand-up special was really something that for me is gonna like propel him to superstar. yeah like this is not not chris rock level stuff
1: no no i don't think so and i hadn't seen his last hbo special from 2019 live at Crenshaw. so i don't have like a huge reference point for his stand-up he also was a you know a uh starring role on the carmichael show he played gerard carmichael's brother on that sitcom of course the highly regarded but little watched uh Gerard Carmichael sitcom from a few years back. So he he really, I think, has been, like, around for the comedy folks, but he's not traditionally, like, or at least not, like, fully in that stand-up thing. I think we would rightly associate him as an actor these days, yes. right? You know, like, uh, the free guy, you know, he had a really big supporting role alongside Ryan Reynolds, you know, last year. Um, and, like you said, just in general, he's, he's working a lot, you know? Um, and I think this, uh, I said it, y'all thinking it, special on HBO really kind of comes across as the like like this is for me kind of thing. Like I don't think you would make this special if you're really trying to like propel yourself forward. Like this right. clearly was like a homecoming type special recorded in his hometown of Chicago after he's made it, you know? Mm-hmm. And now he's like a hometown hero. And as you can tell like by watching the special like, he just rips right into just stream of conscious observations about his life and life in Chicago and just life as a aging parent and as an aging black person, you know, it's, I think it it, it is relatable to a lot of people, but it doesn't really have like any like formal structure as Mm -hmm. a special. He he was just kind of just riffing and hanging out with his crowd who clearly really into it.
0: Yeah. And and you can tell that he's just trying to like uh, get as much out of this experience as possible, just the way it ends. You know, he, doesn't really have like a closing joke or anything. He just kind of is standing there and he even admits he's just taking it all in. And uh it in some ways, it's very endearing. I think that's that's something about him is he has this like he has this, his laugh, but just like his overall vibe is just very yeah. like kind, but funny and definitely like sharp, but not in any way like uh, offensive or abrasive. You know, he's he's pretty palatable in almost everything he talks about. And even when he's like, making these observations you know I, I didn't feel like he ever made anything that could really like offend anybody or was gonna like turn anyone mm-hmm. off love it's just kind of like yeah kids these days like they right. aren't they aren't that that great i don't really understand like why some girls like the boys that they like it's like yeah i, I agree <laughs> <laughs> sure i don't know who who's gonna argue with that i guess you know
1: yeah i, I guess the like the, the prickliest thing he probably talks about would be uh will smith chris rock at the oscars yes but even there like he doesn't really go in a you know, anywhere you wouldn't have thought. I think at this point, like the the battle lines have been drawn on on that that conflict, and people know the various viewpoints at this point. He doesn't really shed any new ground there, which is fine. Like I thought he was kind of funny talking about it. Um, I think for me, the funniest the funniest thing he was probably talking about was when he was just basically shitting on kids, yeah, and like his relationship to both his kids, but also like the kids in in the orbit of his kids. You know, stuff like that. Like that was probably funny. The funniest stuff to me. But yeah, I think uh, again, like. I like him as an actor. I think he brings his acting appeal into the special at times. He's really good at delivering like a high pitched voice. And yes. like it's it's a part of his laugh as well. And he can bring that into his comedy when he does like impressions and stuff, you know? But mm-hmm. ultimately, like yeah, I think I think this was just kind of a vibe. And it's I like Lil Rel, but I don't know if I love him as a stand-up which is totally fine he's an actor and it's
0: interesting to see him drop this this weekend and and then to have Chappelle doing snl and basically getting to do like a 10 to 15 minute stand-up routine at the the top of the show where Mm. he's he's pretty offensive you know at least to to certain people um he uh definitely is controversial uh comments on kanye and non-jewish people it's it's just a such a stark contrast um and uh it just, I think, really even highlighted more for me how little Rel, you know, the, this was a pretty safe thing. And, and just, I think, like you said, something for him. I agree with you on the the um, commentary about the kids. I thought that was definitely my favorite, as well as I like the Chris Rock stuff, just because I, I had the same thought when I watched it. Like, why did he just like stick his face out? You know, like he just really had no, no belief that it was ever going to happen to him. Like You just <laughs> got to
1: stand there rubbing it, pretend it doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah.
0: So good um anyways let's uh let's move forward from a little rail because i don't have much more to say and on to something i think we have a lot to talk about which is atlanta season four wrapping up as well as the series wrapping up yeah it's over man atlanta it's over maybe one of the like most influential uh television but i think just overall like media projects of our lifetimes i'd say is that yeah. is that a fair assessment
1: oh i would say so i think it's clearly like a pantheon series and had a really big impact on television, specifically what can be achieved in the 30 minute traditional half hour format that is associated with comedies. Atlanta really spun that on its head. And it's not just that it was like transgressive or surprising all the time. It was also really great all the time. You know, it's not just like a participation medal thanks for being different kind of thing. It was also awesome, but you also didn't know ever was going to happen. And the fact that after such a long delay, 2018 to now, it comes back for two seasons and now it's just gone. It's over. It's done. Which of course makes a lot of sense given where Glover and beats and Tyree Henry and Stanfield are in their careers. It makes sense that they're not going to keep doing the show anymore, but I mean, it's kind of a magical run. And I think the way season four went start to finish really actually makes me appreciate the uh, confusion that we had at times with season three, which was the most uh, difficult to grasp at times season of Atlanta. But the fact that they were able to bring it home, bring the whole series home the way they did with season four, of course, going back to Atlanta after season three is set in Europe, like, man, like they just really nailed it. And yeah, it has a certified legacy as a series. No, no question.
0: Yeah, I I think you you said it well. Um, to me, I mean, Atlanta is always going to be just. I I think one of the one of the ways that Black creators really were able to take control of what they were doing and uh, that that's been one of the themes of the last like five six seven years in film and and uh television you know we have so many so many more talented black creators who are getting opportunities to do the work that they want to do you know you think Mm -hmm. about barry jenkins steve mcqueen we're gonna be talking about ryan coogler in a little bit but donald glover you know this (laughs) this guy was kind of just like a punchline rapper and yeah, you know, a, a comedian and a goof, and seemed like that was just going to kind of be who he was. Really, just brought to life this amazing show. And um you know, I, I don't want to get too far into what the show is overall means before we talk about season four, because I yeah. think I think we deserve to kind of get into it. And man, I mean, where would this rank for you in terms of Atlanta seasons? I mean, I think three is probably people's last, just because it's a little bit less, a uh, little bit less formed, a um, little bit more just kind of like all over the place. But man, I, I think this is probably I don't know, 2 for me.
1: After season 2.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: Yeah, yeah I it's... think so. Honestly, like some of the best episodes of Atlanta are in season 4. Mm-hmm. You know, like they just know exactly what they're trying to achieve and they really nail it. Like you said, like Atlanta got a lot of attention for just like seeing Donald Glover and Stephen Glover and Stephanie Robinson and Hiro Mirai. seeing that creative quartet bring something so unexpected to the fore that is also about the black experience specifically like how black people feel about how they are perceived like in society you know and it's such a granular show but it still really knows how to like surprise you with how it gets to its its comments you know and the the fact that, like, they were able to pull off this with FX and really get them to allow them to go this route. You know, it's not what you expect. It's not about Paperboy boy grinding with his rap career, earn trying to make ends meet as a manager of an upstart rapper. It's not about that, you know, and I think a lot of people would love to see more of that kind of stuff, too. Like they're like the nitty gritty Atlanta plot. But like, it's not that kind of show and it's able to i think really like wow you and move you with what it does instead of being the more uh conventional comedy plot
0: completely and i I think that that's highlighted in just how like creative these episodes are you know like i think about work ethic right where you have zazzy beats with uh you know they the young actress i forgot the young actress's name but playing lottie their their child oh, yeah. uh, you finally see lottie dance. right it, now that she's I,
1: aged up a bit
0: it, and she's you know with her mom on on set van is taking a, an acting job as like a uh, even know like fifth or sixth person yeah. in the scene and right. just to kind of make a little extra money and lottie starts stealing the show and gets kind of thrown into this like system and um you know obviously you have mr chocolate uh, mr chocolate just coming over the the intercom every once in a while with these uh suggestions and, and <laughs> quips but i i just thought it was so so thoughtful and well crafted in how like not only as is it obviously playing on the willy wonka s nature of of mr chocolate and just like this mm-hmm. this uh, setup in general but then it's just like how you immediately start thinking about the, the whole child acting world and how fucked up that system is. And this like mother who's just trying to protect her daughter. And like the way that Mr. Chocolate confronts her, like all of that stuff. And then of course you have Donald Glover playing this weirdo in this, you know, fat suit and it's fucking hilarious too. Like he's, he's great. And it's like, you just get everything that this show does so well. And you just would never think of something like that. You just yeah. would never think of it.
1: It's on top of all that, it's a riff on Tyler Perry movies yep, exactly. and how they uh, interface with broader black culture and how it's consumed by black people and what it's saying about that. You know, it's there's so much going on once again uh,
0: wait, with when that. When Mr. Chocolate says to her, like, you are a Mr. Chocolate like girl or whatever it is. Like, you know, right. he, he frames her as one of the characters. and It's just so, so well done. Um, another one that I thought was great was Born to Die right where you have or sorry um light-skinned ed um i i want to talk about born today too yeah but how light-skinned ed you know amazing sets urn right into this this world with his family again which you know you don't you don't typically get to see him interacting with his family but you know it puts him in church has him interacting with his his parents like their their family dynamics and all that stuff you get to see his dad at the mall talking yeah. with Isaiah Whitlock Jr., amazing. Incredible. And it's just like you take this pretty simple setup in a way. You know, Ernest going to, ch- going to church with his mom. And it just goes in so many different directions and has so many funny moments. And it's like you just never would expect it to work on so many different levels. And it always has something more to say. But you can also just kind of watch it and just like enjoy hmm. the like ridiculousness of the situation. Yeah his his aunt in that episode was so fucking funny dude i know (laughs) ask ask him where he is (laughs) and then and then when the grandpa's like i'm in egypt and she's like what did he say?" like oh my god so good (laughs) we've been here for two
1: weeks
0: (laughs) (laughs) so good man what were the episodes that that stood out to you most
1: god honestly i loved them all um Mm -hmm. like how we talked about work ethic I think kind of a similar commentary is found in Episode 8, The Goof Who Sat by the Door. We get the return of the fictional television broadcaster, B.A.N. Of course, Mm -hmm. B.A.N., one of the signature episodes of of Season 2 featuring uh, Alfred. This time around, it's an episode like a Season 3. We don't see any of our core cast, and it's framed as a documentary a fictional documentary about a uh, black animator who rises to become the CEO of Disney and the the journey, the rise and the fall of this figure, uh, Washington, something Uh, he is actually like a a parable for, uh, you know, greater, greater society and how certain people are treated. And I was like, wow, like the fact that they can like, just kind of pull off something like that, that's so abstract but also so, so pointed and specific about what it's actually trying to say. And, of course, it's done in such an awesome way where it comes across as a very convincing documentary with talking heads and archival footage, you know? It's, like, pretty awesome, pretty spectacular. Man, they get fucking
0: Brian McKnight and Sinbad to just hop on for, like, a few lines here and there and just deliver some of the most ridiculous stuff. Um, You know, when he was saying that they were having... Like he was just having random people come up to his uh, Thomas Washington CEO office. And it was like, we were up there with like Michael Jordan and like, you know, like uh, Rick James and stuff. And it's just so ridiculous. Like this, this guy who's making a goofy movie, but just like this rise to power. And um you know, this has been pointed out. This is one of the episodes I think has gotten the most attention from this season. Um, Not only for um it's it's uniqueness and it's pointedness like you said but also because this was the third to last episode and they just were like we're gonna we're gonna do something that has nothing to do with any of the characters involved in this show and it's such a swing and such a choice and it fucking crushed it uh so inventive mm-hmm. um but how it how it kind of mirrors uh sam greenley's uh, novel the spook who sat by the door and then the mm-hmm. film adaptation um just so creative and thoughtful I thought that one was fantastic and so funny, you know, like it's just so ridiculous to see, but also the way that, that they talked about the goofy movie and how that relates to the, <laughs> the struggles of, of, you know, black, black people in America and black families. It's uh, yeah black, fatherhood. Really thoughtful, completely, yeah. completely surprising. Um, you know, we, we talk about these, like sh- these episodes that feel so, out there and unexpected but then you do get some more down-to-earth ones like snipe mm-hmm. hunt where yeah. you know oh you just gosh. have urn and van and lottie out in the woods and camping yeah camping parenting um trying to figure out what their relationship is what their life's gonna be you get maybe the the best Donald Glover acting moment of the whole show with his yeah. mom, his speech to Van at the end of the episode, where he's crying and really pouring his heart out to her and explaining why he loves her and why he wants to be with her. I thought that was completely moving. I thought him and Sazzy Beach just completely yeah. crushed this episode.
1: Totally. And I feel like it's also a nice like callback or like bookend to, I believe it was episode two, where Earn goes to therapy mm-hmm. and is kind of like Letting the audience in on a little bit of other aspects of Ern's life that obviously we haven't seen on screen because it's not that kind of show. But the things he's talking about and like opening up about, you kind of get that, uh, I won't say wrapped up, but you kind of get that answered in an episode like Snipe Hunt and even episode like, uh, yeah, episode like Snipe Hunt, where he's like trying to go to LA and like, yeah, take the next step forward in his life, but he doesn't want to leave behind his daughter and he wants to kind of reconcile with the mother of his daughter, you know, it's re- things really moving. Cause you know who these characters are and you've been with them for such a long time that it, uh, it's kind of fulfilling to see that kind of arc narrative arc come up and, and close, I think in that kind of manner.
0: Completely. Uh, and you know, you, you, get these narratives that run through the show but even through the season right so you had the the crank that killer in
1: uh, so fucking 6 funny man. Man.
0: so hilarious just the overall like idea but then like also incredibly like intense and action filled when with the shootout in the mall and everything i thought that was fantastically done the shoe man yes <laughs> but then then how that that idea of the crank that killer leads alfred to yeah. get this safe safe farm. Safe farm.
1: <laughs> safe and farm then, is there.
0: And then that, that plays out in the penultimate episode. With yep. Andrew Waith at Alfred's World. And he's on the safe farm. And literally having to. Brawl. And scrape. And kill a wild hog. With his bare hands. Just to survive. And I I, I, I thought it was. not only a really well directed episode, but you obviously you obviously get um, Tyree Henry just completely showing out here. And I I just I thought this episode was great, not only because you had the interactions between um, you know, uh, Paperboy and uh, the The shop owner, the shop owner, which were just like, (laughs) I mean, so you're going to
1: buy it on Amazon, (laughs) aren't (laughs) you?
0: It was so it saves his life later. Amazon skillet. (laughs) <laughs> incredible um just so good but then also just you know the the overall like themes of it i thought were really fascinating especially for a penultimate episode and kind of following the like overall arc of alfred as a character i thought was great
1: totally it's also getting a nice nod to i believe season two again where you have that one where alfred's like walking in the woods and it's like calling back to like his family past if i remember mm-hmm. right like yeah it was awesome um, episode like crank that killer episode three born to die those yes. both feel right at home as just like classic like titular atlanta episodes where you have the humor and out there level of comedy and humor that we associate okay. with this show in the case of born to die it's kind of dueling banjos where you have donald glover on this like journey to find d'angelo to bring him into his work you know and his business and on the same side other side you have al perhaps grappling with his status as an aging rapper and then trying to fulfill himself by finding a uh aspiring white kid a ywa to be his was a white young avatar to 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 get money via via white kid who's uh stealing the culture god damn that was so fucking good
0: <laughs> so so good fucking having yodel kid go that hard throughout R- the episode R. I. P. Yodel kid man And it, and it starts off so just like okay he's in the he's in the studio with these like kind of young losers and you're like ah right. whatever
1: rich kids then, in the studio rich white kids yeah
0: and then it just turns out where like it fucking comes all the way around by the end yodel kid overdosing at the Grammys man uh, winning the Grammy after that. So fucking funny. So well done. And you mentioned the D'Angelo part, man. I, I thought that was just so clever. And, uh, you know, you kind of wonder where it's going to go. And then having that like conversation between, uh, Earn and, and the D'Angelo, like, not a placeholder watcher
1: keeper whatever their yeah. that role was of that society he learned about
0: yeah and just kind of talking about like you know this this is an experience like d'angelo is a he's a experience he's not a person like uh, that that sort of thing i just thought it was really good and kind of like i, I think obviously d'angelo as, as you think about his place and culture now is kind of like that because so revered but not really like actively working kind of similar to prince in a way right like maybe Mm. you think of prince a lot how prince was always kind of like this mysterious figure who felt larger than life and and so like untouchable in some ways thought that was really great i wanted to ask you though as we wrap up our conversation about season four what'd you think of it was all a dream the the final episode
1: yeah honestly i loved it you know i think once again it's very atlanta to have a finale that doesn't gets swept up in the fact that it's the final episode. Like that's, it sounds simple, but it's honestly really smart to just be with these characters again, being themselves. I love how we're, we're, we're with everyone. And we actually have a lot of Darius in this. And like the, you have the, is he in the dream? Is he in the, uh, the, the, what was it? The, the depth state? What, the, whatever his, uh, depth tank? Depth tank, yeah. yes. And that starts becoming a loop. <laughs> and then at the end, they don't, They don't tell us if Darius saw Thick Judge Judy or not, you know, they just let it go. Because, again, that's not the point of the show.
0: Right. It's it's so funny, um, the the Thick Judge Judy thing. But then how that like finally like plays out in the episode when you finally see Judge Judy and how he keeps waking up and having the the inception like ending. I was like, man, this is I never would have expected that, but it's such a, a great way to end it. And of course you have the really tense moment where you have Van and Alfred and Ern at this black-owned sushi restaurant, not yeah. wanting to eat this poison sushi, not trusting that it's prepared, right? And that they're gonna the die. Blowfish. <laughs> and and them being confronted by the store owner. And then you just have Darius coming out right. of nowhere to save the day. What a fucking moment. And what like a great like way to end the show with them all it's like driving that pink corvette i was like
1: totally and again it's 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 like the mr chocolate stuff where it's like you have this juxtaposition between this black and like sushi fusion dish with the popeyes across the street and at the end when darius rescues them quote unquote and they're in the the pink whip they're eating popeyes yeah you know (laughs) <laughs> and like it, it's kind of a, an awesome microcosm for like yeah. everything we love about Atlanta as a, as a show. So I'm, I'm already, d- I'm already sad. It's gone, but Me too. I love these four so much and they have been winning all of them. You know, like like he smashed it in Judas and the black Messiah. Brian Tyree Henry has been an amazing supporting character re- recently. Mm-hmm. Donald Glover. We know he has carte blanche to make whatever he wants. So we'll, we're eagerly awaiting what that is. And Zazi as well has been uh, a strong supporting role, a uh, character recently too. So can't wait to see what's next for them. But also, how about Hiro Morai? You know, he hasn't oh, been yeah. super active outside of this show. He's been up around here and there. Stephanie Robinson's been doing tons of stuff, of course, very involved in what we do in the shadows. She'll be a comedy force for a long time. But Hiro, you know, who knows what's what's up up his sleeve.
0: I hope whatever it is, he's continues collaborating with uh, Donald Glover because they they seem to really have some something right. there creatively, which is great. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean those those five, right? Uh, Donald Glover, Lakeith, Tyree, uh, Zazi, Hero, or the and I guess Stephen Glover too, because he was so involved with the writing, and then Stephanie Robinson as well. So I guess those like six or seven are like the yeah. ones that are going to be remembered for this show and just. Created this amazing, amazing thing. You know, I I wanted to ask you, like, what are the episodes? that you think about Atlanta that you're always going to
1: come back to? Teddy Perkins, yeah, immediately comes to mind. Um, gosh, though, there's just so many. And even like season three, like season three has some wild moments. You know, like mm-hmm. the stuff with uh Alexander Skarsgard <laughs> comes to mind at the end there. You know, um, the stuff when they go to that rich person's home
0: uh, in Europe.
1: No, no, no. Juneteenth oh, obviously sorry. a Hall of Famer. But then in season three, when they go to that. Uh, uh, Al goes to like the poker game. Remember? Oh, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. What, what, whatever that one's called. That one was great. Like, I mean, season one, season two, like there's just so much shit, you know, like mm-hmm. like, like alligator man and the stuff with. um The barber uh, shop, stuff with,
0: champagne poppy when they go to Drake's house. Oh, my oh, God. Yes,
1: dude. So good. Moneybag Shorty like that. A, da- da- a Darius. His character. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh no, sorry not Derry. Oh, what's his name? Um the guy who uh gives Urn um credit cards that are uh that are skimmed. <laughs> what's his name?
0: Oh fuck. He I comes forgot.
1: back in the beginning of season four. Um, I
0: know, I know. Oh, man, I'm forgetting You know I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like man. his
1: stuff was great. Uh there's just so much shit, honestly. Like there's, there's so, so much shit. to you know, like there's so much to look back on about it. Like that's what I mean. Like the breadth that this show accomplished as a 30 minute comedy series is, is like, just doesn't compare to anything else.
0: Yeah. It's, it's one of a kind. And I think as we talk about more shows that are going to be uh, hits in the future, kind of in this vein, it's going to be one that we consistently are referencing back to as an influence and something that just totally reshapes, television hopefully and and create creativity in this realm, so man t- uh, like you said sad to see it go um who who do you think is like the big winner from this because all, all like the those four their star is all completely propelled forward. would you say it's it's Donald Glover or do you think someone else might have come
1: out more on top? It's a great question, you know, I say it all the time it's the best thing Donald Glover's ever done. Yeah, but he had a lot of attention already. He had a lot of chances and opportunities and LaKeith, Lakeith was yes. in Short Term 12. He wasn't out of nowhere as an actor. I think Brian Tyree Henry is the biggest like riser, yeah, out of all of these because he really just ascended himself into like one of the greatest living actors off mm-hmm. the back of this show and is now seeing the roles across film as well, you know. So he's probably like the the biggest like winner from his personal life, but yeah, I mean, I guess like Donald probably rises above all else just because of his kind of unique place in the culture as a creative force that Mm -hmm. came a long way from his early 2010s life as a aspiring rapper and community bit player, you know, so you probably should say Donald. But to me, to Tyree Henry is like this out of this world, like where he came from to getting to this level. Yeah, I think to that point his biggest role was on
0: Broadway in The Book of Mormon. Into that. That's right. Yeah, so, original cast, I believe. Yeah, so he's uh, you know, for for a screen, completely I, I'd say he's the, the biggest riser. Don Glover, probably biggest winner, but LaKeith, I mean, man, uh, he's he's everywhere. And he's uh, you know, out of yeah. all these characters I'm trying to think if any of them have been solo stars in a movie the way that he was with um, sorry to bother sorry you. Sorry to bother That's you. Where yeah. he just completely owned that, and that, that was a I thought really well done movie. So
1: yeah,
0: Oscar nominated for Judas. <laughs> yeah, we're not even talking about Zazie, who, you know, I think for black females, acting right now is probably at the top of most people's lists of who they want yeah. to get in their their property. So pretty cool. Uh, although we are gonna be talking about quite a few um, black actresses who are killing it right now as well in the second. So sad to see Atlanta go. Drop us your favorite episodes below if you're watching on YouTube. dave let's uh let's move on from atlanta for the last time to wakanda wakanda forever um dave if you're watching on youtube your background is uh namor from from this and i I gotta say Mm -hmm. good call because i did not really like wakanda forever very much but namor was someone that i did enjoy quite a bit Mm -hmm. um you know to be honest i thought wakanda forever while certainly a a fine attempt at trying to keep a series going that was purely focused on or, or centered around a character that is no longer able to be on screen with Chadwick Boseman passing and, you know, not able to play T'Challa anymore. I thought they did a serviceable job of trying to like revive it, but overall just did not really work for me. And um, I think there's some, some cool things, but I think overall it almost just felt kind of random, you know, like it, like mm. some of the moments I felt like, kind of came out of nowhere and things just kind of happened but didn't really totally make sense to me so uh, I was a bit disappointed where were you where do you stand on it
1: yeah I think that's that's a good way to frame it because Black Panther Wakanda forever unfortunately not by design out of necessity has to serve a lot of masters due to the passing of Chadwick Boseman in 2020 of course the loss of Chadwick Boseman is really insurmountable uh, hard to really state. You know him as truly, I think, one of like the signature American actors of his time, and an incalculable loss. And to try and make a sequel to Black Panther without him is, you know, like you said, they did gave it their best chance. So as a result, Ryan Coogler and and Marvel, everyone at Marvel, like they had to re- redo this movie. They rewrote it. Obviously, it has to start off right away with. Big downer. They have to address the fact that T'Challa is dead. You know, um, very somber vibe in the theater, because how could it be anything else? You know, no one's happy that we don't get to see Chadwick Bozeman in our lives anymore. You know, it sucks. And unfortunately, like Wakanda Forever just has to have a lot of downer qualities to it, too. On the other side of things, it's serving as a sequel to Black Panther and a new MCU movie in general It's doing actually a a fair amount of MCU storytelling setup that I didn't necessarily expect. You know, you have the introduction of Dominique Thorne's new character, Riri Williams, who will, of course, be the star of the Ironheart MCU series later in 2023 on Disney+. And then even more unexpectedly, you have a fair amount of plot with Martin Freeman and Julia Dreyfus you know, the, the Valentina character setting us up for the Thunderbolts film. It's like you have a lot of like MCU like side stories in addition to a movie that needs to be the coda for the loss of Chadwick Bozeman and still be a sequel to Black Panther for all those other characters that are still alive. It There has to be a lot accomplished in this movie, which is a long movie, but it's just a lot of goals for a franchise movie to attempt at. Of course, introducing one of the most popular and sought after Historical Marvel characters, of course, Namor the Submariner, you're also bringing him into the mix as a fixture of the MCU moving forward. Like, they had a lot going on. And I think all those things I listed all have varying levels of effectiveness. But the movie itself ultimately gets a bit bogged down by having all that stuff. So,
0: what would you say are the uh, most effective aspects of the movie to you?
1: So, I gave Black Panther rewatch right before seeing Wakanda forever. And I think it really holds up. It's still my favorite MCU film. And the reason I love it so much is because the black Panther movie and both of them for that matter, largely due to the, you know, presence of Ryan Coogler, one of our great directors who is a bit overqualified to be making a Marvel movie, to be honest, like these movies are about something like tangible and real which you can't say about almost any other MCU movie. Like the the themes of Black Panther, both of them, I think are really tangible and really compelling stuff, you know? And I love how those themes get tweaked from movie to movie. You know, Wakanda starting out as an isolationist, protectionist kind of country. Uh, And then we're moving forward with Wakanda forever. Wakanda in the world of MCU, like I say this all the time, like the MCU doesn't feel like a real place to me in terms of like a world. But I think Wakanda and also now Talokan, the our, our Namor's Atlantis, basically those two kingdoms and their relationship with each other and their relationship with the outside world, what that's about in terms of them trying to ward off Western imperialism mm-hmm. and the overreach of other governments and just taking care of themselves before people come after them. Like that is really compelling. And I think really smart way to ground this movie in a semblance of reality. And it, it they nail it in the first movie. And I think when they're given chances to do it again in two, I do enjoy it. I really liked the, the use of Namor in this film because I think he's once again, like Killmonger, a compelling antagonist for a movie that has this kind of like high floor Uh, thematically, narratively. And I think Namor does a really good job of communicating the other side of the Wakandan-like struggle to sustain themselves as a kingdom without compromising who they want to be. And I thought all of that was really strong. And uh, Teno Kherita's performance as Namor definitely pretty scene stealing as far as the mcu goes i liked him quite a bit i'm very happy to see him uh return in the future i liked a lot of that that stuff um and that's why like i'm willing to give black panther 2 more of a pass than i am to say other like mixed muddled mcu sequels because i think there's like so much more under the hood with this movie thanks to just the creative decisions that are you know at the helm here so it's a long way of saying like I just think it's a bit smarter than some of the other stuff.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree with that. You know, one of the moments in the the movie that I appreciated the most was actually near the end. And Suri is, uh, you know, very... Shuri, Shuri, sorry, is is incredibly uh, angry and looking for revenge. And she's talking about, you know, how she's going to go kill Namor and and all this and just like totally defeat his people. And you get Winston Duke uh, as M'Baku who's like, all right, well, that's your plan, but are we sure that this is really the right plan? Like, is this really how we want to be treating these people instead of, like, trying to help them or try to, like, approach this differently?
1: They don't need to be our enemies. It's very compelling.
0: Have we ever, like, uh, other than, like, the obvious um, Captain America versus Iron Man, like, two perspectives on governing, you know, superpowers and and the roles of superheroes, have we ever really had any, like, thoughtful introspection or, like, conversation in the MCU about, like, what they're actually doing a lot of the time. And like, if it's actually like the right way to go about things, I don't really think so. Yeah, maybe some <laughs> of the, like
1: the Sokovia like stuff here yeah. and there, but it's not given the time it deserves to be thematically rich.
0: Right. And so I, that was just a moment where it made me like step back and be like, Oh, I mean, I just did not expect to hear that conversation happen. I was, I really mm-hmm. appreciate that. And I think you, you summarized it really well that the interplay of like what this, this African nation as a a very powerful nation, but one that is not known to be powerful until the you know the United States and other world powers are starting to discover its uh, vibranium uh, resource mm-hmm. as well as just its technological uh, power in general. I think is really like a fascinating thing to explore, and I think I, I agree when when you get some of the stuff where uh, ramanda goes in front of the. I don't even know the UN I think it was or, the
1: UN UN yeah
0: yeah um, I thought that was pretty interesting I liked that I think actually a lot of what I didn't really vibe with that much was La- Letitia Wright as Shuri I it was it was hard I think to like totally buy into her experience and she's she's got a hard hard role right yeah. so right right from the beginning she's being tapped as like the one who's taking this torch and that's already a, a difficult position to be in but having to be grieving and yes. angry and frustrated and not really getting to do a lot of the things that she does really well, which is just be like snarky and charming and like chiming in, but having to like kind of carry it, I, I just don't think she was really uh, in the position to do that and I almost kind of feel like there was a missed opportunity to maybe put Lapita a little bit more at the center of this film and maybe let yeah. her do a little bit of heavy lifting, especially you get this post-credit scene where you know her and Chadwick had this child. Um, that, you know, they haven't shared with the world or share, mm-hmm. even shared with Ramonda uh, at all. And it's like maybe there was more there to explore and that, and that could have been something and let Letitia yeah. kind of be in her bag more. But I don't know, it, it just it, that, that part was tough for me,
1: for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think Letitia writes good in the movie. Um, she's given a lot more reps, you know, in, in this film, but a lot of those reps, she has to be really sad or really mad. And like you said, she doesn't get to be as funnish and quippy as she was in the first movie where she was really like a, a welcome like antecedent to the, the regal grace that was Mm. Chadwick's T'Challa, you know, like she's note perfect in the first one. And I mean, it makes sense that she's like set up as our new black Panther character. And of course they have the, the son of T'Challa set up for like down the line post, you know, uh, Kang and everything, whatever. But yeah, I was expecting more of Nakia. I was expecting more of Lupita, no question. And, like, it's like, man, it's like, we all know how creative an actor Lupita Nyong'o is. And she's sidelined for a lot of this movie. I was really hoping she would be more front and center. Um, she carries some dramatic scenes, for sure, but not as many as I was hoping for, um, which is a bit disappointing, just because, I mean, I, I was not totally convinced that shuri was gonna become the new black panther like you see the 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 female in the suit in the trailer the woman in the suit and you're like okay it's probably shuri but is it because mm-hmm. maybe that was just me like being a Lapina yango fan i'm like nah make it nakia man that would be sick
0: yeah. they didn't do it
1: <laughs> nope
0: they didn't do it um you know also quite a few people in this movie i really like that i feel like maybe uh, didn't really get to show out. Obviously, you don't have Kaluuya coming back, which hurts. You know, yeah, I believe that was and- more just
1: that was more to do just scheduling conflicts yeah. once the movie had to be pushed back after the loss of Chadwick. So, yeah, you don't get uh, not name Wakabi. You you yep. don't get Danny Kaluuya back, which of course he's one of our great actors. So that is a loss mm-hmm. for sure. But you get Michaela Cole stepping
0: in. Yes, I had character. a lot of I had a lot of hope for her character to really like jump off the screen. And certainly when I first saw her, I. I'd, didn't know she's in the movie so i was like Michaela cole great look surprise nice to see you uh didn't really feel like her character really grabbed me the way i was hoping um i I didn't love um the the new character um what was her name the mit student
1: oh reary williams yes
0: i I didn't really love that character um
1: interesting you did not like her like different energy her americanness
0: Definitely a different energy. And I actually think, in terms of like action, the like scene on that bridge was probably one of my yeah. favorites. Although I don't understand how there's in was Boston no traffic, no one around. Like, don't really understand that, but you know, cool. Um, I should have, yeah, I, I should have went to me. that,
1: that filming. Like, that yeah. is like a very public area. You, you could totally be a, on the shore watching that app get filmed. Like, that, that was like, I was like, fuck. I knew they were in Boston, I didn't know they were right there.
0: <laughs> yeah, like literally right there. Um although you you would never be an extra only cuz you're so
1: tall. Um It's true. Yeah, I don't, I don't fit, fit the parameters.
0: But yeah, you know, I I think out of all the the newcomers in terms of characters, definitely Tana was okay. uh by far the the scene stealer like you said. Um Of course, it ends in like a big CGI fight near the end, but was mm-hmm. wasn't as bad as some of them. I thought it was kind of interesting.
1: No, I agree. I think the fight between Shuri and Namor in like the deserty dark, uh dark, uh dry area. Yeah. I thought that was actually pretty good because they do a good job of setting up like that conflict and like why Namor is so desperate to save his people, protect his people, and you understand Shuri's rage and where she's coming from, right? I think that that conflict all makes sense, you know. And I was like, you know, them going out on a big boat and Having the the Talocan people attack them in their area of choice, which would be the sea. I was like, you know what? They did just enough to make it make sense because, like, now we're 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 gonna bait Namor, and then we'll take him out. And like, we just gotta like uh get our ass kicked until Shuri pulls it off. He, okay, they like I think they just convinced you enough that that's like a good plan for a uh you know third act fight as sure. we expect um you know the cg is a bit uh up and down uh yeah in this one i, I think you know i was watching and i was like man you know i think it's just like the stuff we've been talking about how like the cg uh animation houses are just overworked and like yep the fact that black panther 2 gets delayed but still probably didn't have enough time f- for post just kind of sucks doesn't it you know it's like the, i mean i mean- could look better it's it's Marvel just having too much dip on their chip,
0: man. Like they're just doing too much. They gotta they gotta slow it down to give these, right. these people some time to really, I think, like craft things better. Yeah, uh, real quick. I will I will oh, say ahead. though,
1: like in terms of like too much dip on their chip, I think the use of Black Panther two to introduce Riri Williams was a very effective way to set up Ironheart and get people to care about that series. Sure, I like this method way more than putting someone in the series first and then dropping them in the movie. Not that that can't work. Like I'm sure like Kamala Khan will land in Miss Mar- uh, the, the Marvels when it comes out. Like to me, like this actually like increased my anticipation for mm. Ironheart. And I think that is a win, you know, like r- reminds me of Civil War introducing us to Shajala for the first time and increasing people's already high expectations for the Black Panther film. So mm. now if Black Panther Wakanda of Forever wasn't as overstuffed, I think the Riri edition wouldn't feel as tacked on as it might to some, you know, because I actually to think like that's something the MCU has done effectively before is, you know, that that's kind of like the, the, the close connected storytelling of the MCU done right. It's something like that. Um, you know, do you think they're still going to make the uh, Dora Millage series that they talked about like a year ago? Remember like they introduced the Dora Milaje and, or brought him into Falcon, the winter soldier kind of randomly and, we know they're gonna make a series, so they say. I wonder if that that is still in the cards for the next next plan for these immediate characters. I wonder. I don't think you
0: give Florence Kasamba and uh, Michaela Cole the role that right. you do, and then the Nike um, Hero as well. Yeah. yeah, and then not not do this, especially you're gonna have. Um, kasamba and cole be romantically involved i mean that's that's set up for a television show right there so i i think they're definitely gonna do it at some point and if you can get michaela cole writing it i mean come on oh no. like why, why wouldn't you Damn. <laughs> that would be sick i would love to see if disney would actually like go for that though <laughs> M- yeah. it might be too edgy for them uh r- real quick killmonger comes back surprise
1: this. yeah did you like it you know actually i did like it you know, yeah, I think too. I think it worked. I think it worked. They set they set it up well. And like, I love the ancestral plane. I think that shit works so well in the first movie. You know, the score, the Louis and drop mm-hmm. when, like, T'Challa goes to the ancestral plane and, like, sees his dad and shit. It's epic. It's, like, Lion King vibe-inducing. Like, it's so good, right? And yeah. this time around, they make it – they do it in, like, an unsatisfying way for the character. I thought that was really smart, really bright. And, yeah, get to see Michael B. again. Like – having just rewatched the first one like he really is spectacular as killmonger to some people it's a bit of overacting to me i think it's just the right note and yeah i really like seeing him here uh I, it was nice to
0: see him i thought it made sense and uh you know he was making some points like <laughs> he was making some points to sh- <laughs> giving Shuri some uh some hard truths i think so yep. um a- any last thoughts on this i mean I don't know. I, I definitely wasn't uh, wasn't as pleased with it as I was hoping to be, but I think overall yeah. it's still better than a lot of the stuff we get with the MCU. Right.
1: So. That's why I said like there's all these parts and they all have varying levels of effectiveness and that's just kind of the unfortunate circumstance that was this movie. Now, the counter to that would be probably they should have just focused on Black Panther stuff and the loss of Chadwick and not put a Ruby Williams in this, maybe even not try to name more like I'm sympathetic to that point of view, but I think for what it is, what it was trying to achieve, which was many things, it's up and down. And we've certainly seen worse. think Kugler comes back for a third. That's a great question, man. I think I he's think so. at least as a producer involved in the Dormelage series. At least he was announced as one. Um, obviously, we would love Ryan Kugler to make a non-franchise movie again. That'd be awesome. But... I think he does bring a, I think a thematic point of view to these movies that we don't get really anywhere else in the MCU. So obviously, I would welcome it. I would, I would definitely welcome it. I just, uh, I, I'm my, my selfish hope is he starts
0: making original stuff again. So yeah, of course, we'll see. Anyways, let's wrap up there. What do you got for next week?
1: Yeah, so next week I think the big thing for us is the final Brockhampton album is coming out. The family hmm. Brockhampton says goodbye. We'll uh, get into all that, of course, and then. I think two two high-profile movies coming out. The Menu, the Anya Teller Joy-Nicholas Holt uh, suspenseful drama comedy film. And, of course, one of the Oscar contenders of the year, She Said, the uh, Harvey Weinstein uh, dramatization story, but the investigation of it, the journalism side of things. Uh, Then we also have some music from Roddy Ricch and Waste Blood. And there's a Netflix movie with Florence Pugh coming out, The Wonder. So so some pretty good stuff and then december is uh, really loaded with stuff and post thanksgiving really so we're really heating up here and also making our end of year lists before we know it <laughs> well can't wait to talk about it all hit that
0: subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod and uh follow us on the uh on our twitter at nostalgia pod and the link tree there has every way to follow us there we'll see you next week